Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. You're here with host Matthew Winkelstein and our guest today, Doug Carlson, Chief Procurement Officer for University of Nebraska. Doug, welcome. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate the opportunity to get to discuss some things today and looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Uh, Doug has some uh, some great experience working for the state, working for the military, now working for a university. And I know in the AEC space in particular, uh, those two areas specifically are difficult for people to understand if they're not in that space. And so really interested to hear from you, Doug, about uh, what it's like on the other side of the fence when people are trying to sell into you and what your experiences are like, what worked and what, do- what doesn't work. Um, but before we get into that, uh, you have a great career history and have achieved some uh, some pretty cool milestones, including a LinkedIn profile picture uh, with, um, oh my Warren. goodness, with Warren Buffett. I, I, for some reason, I wanted to say Bill Gates and I knew I knew it wasn't Bill Gates. And I have them intertwined for some reason. Um, but anyways, uh, so Doug, why don't you tell us about your career? How'd you get started in the supply chain and uh, who helped you along the way? Well, you know, so my career started really um, September 11th had occurred, and uh, you know, I, I just had this this calling to serve my country when September 11th happened. So um, I ended up joining the military. I originally was going to join the army, and my mom said, "Hey, Doug, uh, the army does not have air conditioning. Maybe you should join the air force." So I, I joined the air force, and I was really fortunate and blessed to be a part of active duty air force for a number of years. Got to go see the world and. You know, I'm a, I'm a small town kid from the middle of Nebraska. And so to get to see the world was just a fascinating experience and, and deployed and got to go to Europe and all these different places across the, the globe. So really blessed to get, get the opportunity to do that. And then, uh, you know, after I, I, I was in nuclear command and control um, and from my earliest days, you know, an aptitude towards that. And um, eventually, my mom had a health issues, and so I needed to get back to Nebraska. So I joined the Nebraska National Guard, um, doing command and control things of that nature, and then eventually I did some finance auditing things, and then end up getting into logistics, which is really you know think about some what logistics can all entail to include contracting, procurement, things of that nature. Um, at one point in my career, I had the opportunity to co-author the um, Air Mobility Command's nuclear. Uh, reconstitution plan. So think about nuclear war hits the United States. How would we reconstitute nuclear forces to reattack? Um, I got to co-author that with another guy, and that was kind of a wild experience in my life. And uh, Matthew, if you ever meet you in person and you want to buy me a beer, I'll tell you how to survive nuclear war. All right. <laughs> um, I, 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 that was a neat experience, and you know, I got my top secret clearance um, in the military, and uh, you know, that's kind of a wild thing for me. And growing up on, uh, you know, outside of a small town in Nebraska to, to have such a thing. And, you know, eventually uh, got into some government relations stuff, got to know Governor uh, Ricketts, the governor of Nebraska, a little bit. And, he, you know, him, the, his chief human resources officer said, hey, why don't you come be the chief government officer for the state of Nebraska? And so I'm very fortunate that I got that opportunity for a couple of years and then finally the University of Nebraska um opportunity came open and, and now here i am i'm about a you know just over a month in at this point into this opportunity and um you know a public service to me always has meant a lot and uh, i just love every minute of public service and so you get to continue to do that whether it's in the national guard working for state government or now working for university i feel pretty blessed to do that. wow 
That, that's an incredible story. And if you don't mind, I'd like to actually go back to the beginning and understand a little bit more. So September 11 hits and you're like, hey, I have to do something for my country and this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was I, I remember when it happened. I mean, as we, you know, if you're old enough, you probably all remember where you were on that day. And um, it just sort of sunk in that, hey, I probably need to be a part of this. And, you know, the idea of going to, uh, you know, we also went to Iraq and all those things that, that was starting to percolate. And I thought I got to be a part of this. So I uh, jumped at the chance and and uh, three weeks later, here I am getting off the bus at San Antonio, um, Texas, the home of Blackman Air Force Base, home of basic training for the Air Force. And I thought to my, I get off the bus and it's about midnight and everyone's yelling and I'm thinking to myself, why is everyone so angry? And it occurred to me that I'm not basic training. This might be a pretty long eight, eight and a half weeks. <laughs> um, but it's been, it, you know, there was, I, I remember that time when that's all going on. And we just, you know, the world didn't know what's going to happen at that time. There was a number of folks well beyond me that, you know, had that same calling that I did. And so it was pretty neat to be a part of. And I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. Nice. So did you have when when uh, so you get in the military, I'm sure at some of it, you're just, hey, you want to go serve. How quickly once you got in the military, did you realize, hey, you know, this beyond the public service aspect is I can make a career out of this. And what did that look like? Well, you know, I would love to tell you that I had some master plan and I realized, but honestly, I was just kind of making it up as I go. Um, you know, I, I sort of joined and I, I knew I wanted to be part of it, but I wasn't I wasn't smart enough then to think about okay, well, what happens after basic training and, you know, the, the technical school that you learn your your function and all those things. Um, but once I got in it and, you know, I, my first duty station was Camp Florida um, down there, you know, it, it became pretty clear that this is this is something that I, I absolutely love. And, you know, no matter what they asked me to do at the time, I, I didn't care. I just wanted to be wearing uniform or wearing a spot and um, love every every minute of it. Um, really got to meet some great mentors and people that really, you know, changed my life and my way of thinking. And, you know, as you get a little older, you get a little smarter, and, you know, take take some good advice along the way. And really, you know, the, the blessing from the military taught me how to be a leader and obviously a leadership factory and getting that opportunity to kind of grow and learn. I, I mean, I'm really blessed to be part of that. Yeah. I, I want to put a pin in that and circle back to it when we get to COVID because I'm sure some of that jumping into the military and feeling that probably felt some of the same things with uh, COVID. I, but I, I'm very interested in this because, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have um, achieved a certain level of success through my career now, and I'm very passionate about paying it forward. So I talk to a lot of youth and you, you hear people struggle a lot with that when they're younger. They, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where to go. And I try and encourage people like, Hey, just keep an open mind and, you know, have a positive attitude and try hard. And it seems like you wrote that, pretty successfully through the military to when you got out? Well, you know, I tell you, Matthew, I'm not one of these folks that, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, I have a friend of mine, I grew up, knew him since a kid. He wanted to be a doctor. Well, he's a doctor, you know, and he knew from day one, I want to be a doctor. I didn't have that. All I knew is I wanted the future me to be successful. So, okay, what does the current me need to do? What sacrifices do I need to make now to let the future me have the life that we want. And so really that kind of mindset, keeping myself, you know, focused and driven um, really has helped uh, achieve those goals. Mm. That that's awesome and profound that you were thinking like that in your twenties. I, um, you know, mid thirties, Matthew Winkelstein has to tell himself all the time, will 
40-year-old Matthew Winkelstein like this decision or not. And uh, I, I, I listen to the 40-year-old a bit, but not all the time. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> I, I probably sound a lot more profound than I really was, right? But, you know, I, I just was able to to help, you know, help myself achieve some things and really had some good mentors that I was really blessed to to meet along the way. And, and luckily, I was smart enough to listen to to help shape who I am as a human being, not only as a leader, but just as a person in general. Awesome. And I assume that that shapes why you're you know, passionate. It's, that fits within uh, of who you are, the person that goes on 9-11 and says, I want to volunteer for the country. Yeah, no, certainly, Matthew. And I tell you, you know, part of this is understanding that, you know, to your point about paying it forward, you know, I, I had some mentors, I've mentored a couple of people because I have people to help me. And, and my one requirement is, if, you know, if I'm going to be in your network, that you have to help somebody down the road too. That's how this all works, right? Because mm-hmm. none of us achieve success on our own. We all achieve success through the help of others, and no matter how hard we work individually. And so paying that forward is, is critical. Um, you know, it's just something that some really great mentor taught me along the way, and I've carried that forward. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just all sort of worked out. That's awesome. I, I live by a very similar credo. So that's, it's, it's, it's encouraging to hear that. Cause you know, I, it's, if you kind of think like, Hey, this mentorship thing, there's a lot of room for leadership and there's this big void. But then when you start to get out and just meet people that are trying to make a difference, there's so many people that care about it. And um, so that, that's a really awesome subject. I'm glad that you're one of the people that are leading our younger generation and uh Especially, especially with your military and public service background. So thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, generations is always an interesting thing to me. My my dissertation is on generations, and it's understanding why they join, and you know, an organization. But more importantly, why do they stay? And you know, it I, it doesn't matter if you're you know 21 or, or 23, you know, just out of college, or you know, 63 towards the end of your career. You know, everyone wants the same place you know, the same type of work environment, right? Some place they can grow and, you know, do good things. And, you know, it, it's amazing, particularly as I've gone through the military and stayed over my university. The one takeaway for me is how passionate people are to do good things in the world. Hmm. And I just absolutely love that. And that's not a perspective you hear every day either. You know, you don't hear a lot of people walking around saying that. No, you know, may, maybe not. But, yeah, maybe I'm just an eternal optimist. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I love you getting to meet people and talk to them about what what's their passion and what is their why in life and you know more times than not it's because they just want to do good things in the world yeah i love it i love it uh so fast forward you're you're getting ready to get out of the military you're looking around at the landscape what is the what does the work scene look like at that time? At this time in your career, did you have an idea that, hey, I want to I want to make this supply chain my profession? Or were you still searching at that point? No, you know, again, I was just sort of making it up as I go. I mean, it, it was clear to me, I, I was smart enough to know that, you know, logistics and operations, really, that was valuable because that's universal across all organizations, right? I mean, basically, almost every organization needs something along that line you know, being strategic and, and tactical in nature, I, I, I knew that I was good at that. It's what I found, Matthew, is most folks, not all, but most folks are either really good at being strategic and really good or really good at being tactical, but not both. And I just sort of had that, that aptitude to do both. And so I, I knew I wanted to apply that trade in some meaningful way. I just didn't know where that was, whether that's in the private sector or the military or whatever it was. And so you know, that my career journey just sort of took off from, from that perspective. Again, just 
hey, Doug, be smart enough to give yourself opportunities for future. And, and you know, it worked out. Awesome. Awesome. And so um, do you mind telling us a little bit of your a little bit of your work with Governor Ricketts? They have a, a neat mission about um, being customer centric. Not once again, not something you hear a lot in government being efficient, driving those efficiencies, trying to do more for their customers, which are uh, taxpayers. So very interested in what that role looked like and what you learned. Yeah, no, so, so Governor Ricketts really firmly believed that we should run a state government like a business, and I was all in on that. Um, you know, I had a perception of state government prior to me going to it, you know, I'll be candid, right? So I really just firmly believe that state government, you know, people don't really work all that hard, it, it's slow, it's not very quick to change, all those pejorative things you probably are familiar with. And it was completely counter to that, um, really under Governor Ricketts' leadership. Uh, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna solve problems. We're gonna create process improvements. We're gonna remove non-value-added steps. We're gonna look at it all uh, differently. And so, you know, getting state teammates, state employees on board with that, it really was pretty easy to do, um, and really just empowered us. You know, and then government really just empowered us and got out of our way, which is which is what a great leader does. Um, you know, so utilizing that process. Improvement and that mindset to, to think differently allowed us to accomplish a number of great things. I'm really proud of the team's efforts uh, during my tenure at state government. Awesome. Do you mind Do you mind giving us a little insight into what things were you looking at pre-COVID? And your 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 experience spans COVID, so I'm sure it, it sharply derailed there. So I'm interested in those two things. When you first got in the position, what were you looking at? How were you trying to drive efficiencies? And then what did your world look like the day that we all said we're going to shut down? Yeah, so I'll give you a really specific example of something that we accomplished pre-COVID. Um, it is with the, the state purchase card. So um, the Department of Transportation had an issue where we, we were not allowing um, departments, in this case, Department of Transportation, to utilize the purchase card in the way they probably should have been. So they needed, and this is true, an 83 cent screw. 83 cent screw. If they could go down to a local hardware store, buy this screw. Now, if they're going to do that, the way it was set up, they had to utilize a purchase order to pay for the screw. And that, and that organization or that, that vendor, small town vendor um, store, would get their money for the 83 cent screw within the next 45 days. I mean, that's just wild, right? I mean, to think how inefficient that really is. So we looked at it. We, we did an entire process value map to see, okay, let's look at every step. So we we had sticky notes and you know on a board and we had a bunch of people look at all that and we discovered to pay for that seventy or that that eighty three cent screw it was seventy seven steps from the moment the person walked in to the moment the screw got paid for was seventy seven steps and that is just absolutely ridiculous and that's state government that's works so we did something about it and we started stripping the non value out of steps we we employed the, the utilization of the purchase card. Bottom line is, we went from 77 steps down to 13. I mean, it was a huge savings, and it went wow. from it went from every 83 cents per robot went from nine minutes worth of processes down to two minutes. So we saved seven minutes every single time we bought an 83 cents per. So Department of Transportation, just that department alone, saved 2,000 hours a year in creating efficiencies in that one process. Uh, and and that's a really great example of some of the things that we were solving for in, during my tenure in state government. Um, I, I look back at it now, and 
you know, having the team be a part of that and all the great things they did and uh, watching them just kind of take ownership of the whole process. It was really neat to see. Awesome. Were, were y'all looking at any um, bigger picture things too, like collaborative contracting methods or stuff like that with, with larger suppliers? Yeah, so yeah, great, great point. Um, yeah, cooperative uh, contracts, leveraging them much, much more um, and thinking differently about how we leverage those. So, uh, you know, we definitely increased the amount of cooperative contracts that we that we started utilizing um, for the vendors out there being a part of cooperative contracts, a really good idea and just figure out how to be a part of that. Uh, I can certainly help anyone be a part of that. Um, but things like the National Association of State Procurement Officials or NASPO, they have a lot of cooperatives I and mean, things like that, um, you know, made a huge, huge difference for us because then, you know, by utilizing cooperative, it's we're getting rebates off of it, but it's also completely transparent. It's already been bid out. So we're, we're checking all the, the legal boxes that we need to check and, and we're doing it in a much faster way. So cooperative uh, was, was a great thing that, that we employed. Uh, another thing that we really worked on was reducing um, red tape. So mm -hmm. in our time, we reduced our all of our policies and regulations by 68%. Uh, we didn't have public hearings to do it. I mean, it, it was a lot of work, right? But really great effort. Uh, again, the team just did a fantastic job of, of making that all materialize uh, to reduce the red tape by that. You know, I mean, literally we're cutting books and you know policies in half to be more effective and efficient while still meeting the mission of state government. It was it was a pretty Herculean effort. I'm glad I real glad I got to be part of it. Hmm. That's awesome, and I'm 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 sure you see the initial savings, and then some of those, especially on collaborative contracting and stuff. You, those savings will continue to occur as those contracts execute and everything else, right? Yeah, as we need more and more, you know, those those contracts. I mean, it, it's just such a good thing, and everyone wins. I mean, it it increases competition at lower prices for us. We're getting rebates off of it. Um, more and more vendors can attach themselves to it, so they they're getting more business. Cooperatives are are great methodology. For the vendors out there to adapt themselves to them. Awesome, awesome. So appreciate you giving us a little behind the scenes there and how government gets more efficient. So now let's now let's put you right in the beginning of the pandemic. What happened then? What did your role change? Were you able to leverage things you did previously? Walk us through that. Yeah. So it was March 5th of 2020. I wrote myself a note on my phone. Hey, we should think about buying PPE for the state. Um, Fast forward, I mean, we have spent, it was something like $75 million um, in PPE, testing, all of those things. Um, so what we did is we created a, a distribution network for PPE. So we leveraged the state buying power and we, we started buying all the PPE that we could from across the world um, on behalf of all Nebraska hospitals, first responders, health districts, all those things. Um, because at the time, I mean, the supply chain stopped. I mean, it, it, it all stopped. And so it was a really, really interesting time because not only were some of the initial stages were we competing against, you know, other states, we were competing against the entire world for the same amount of PPE, you know, that really is predominantly located in just a few countries to include China. So it was an interesting, um, pretty sporty experience. Uh, I can remember being on some phone calls, you know, with Chinese uh, manufacturers. You know, it'd be 2 a.m. here, be whatever time, you know, there. 
uh, you know, working with interpreters. And it was just a fascinating look about how supply chain, um, it all works. And really, you know, one little thing goes wrong and it all comes undone, you know, on, all unravels down the line. So it was a, a fascinating experience, particularly buying PPE, but then uh, Governor Ricketts invited me to run our mass COVID testing program, Test Nebraska, uh, which, you know, we tested over 700,000 Nebraskans. And, you know, really proud of that. The CDC has called it one of the best testing programs um, in the country. And then going back to our distribution network where, so we buy all the PPE, they come in, all the PPE people come in and everything, we create an allocation. So, you know, hospitals tell us how much they wanted and all those things so we could uh, get it out to them. And initially we'd employed the Nebraska National Guard to, to actually ship those things, literally drive that equipment to the, to the different uh, health districts for distribution. Um, CDC came in and said that was one of the best practices in the country. So, you know, they did a nice, more than a nice job with that. So, you know, I look back and those were some pretty long days and, you know, we were all working about 100 hours a week for quite a while. And, you know, it, you sort of just get used to kind of working that time until you finally have a day off and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> Wow, I've literally been saving the world right now, or at least the state of Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, just watching the, the passion of Nebraskans doing what they do best, which is help our friends and neighbors. It was really just an incredible experience to just be a kind of a footnote in, in that whole thing. And, you know, it's something that I'll be really proud of for the rest of, of my days and all the team's efforts. That's awesome. Who would have... Uh... Who would have thought that uh, when you entered the military in 9-11, thinking like this is probably going to be my thing I'm getting in for? I mean, not to diminish your military time, but you probably saved more lives when you were working for the state of Nebraska through COVID and what you were able to do from a PPE standpoint. Yeah, it, I mean, it just never occurred to me that what we were getting into, you know, and I referenced that note that I wrote on my phone on, on March 5th. And I mean, I had absolutely no idea that soon after we were just in the throes of, of COVID. I, I can remember, you know, we sent people home and I, a, a teammate of mine said, well, well, how long are we gonna be at home for? I said, oh, two, three weeks, you know. <laughs> Flatten the curve, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you fast forward to, to even now, you know, where some folks are still at home and, you know, the world's just a different place. I, I'd like to call it the new normal. And I think that's what we're gonna be in is this new normal. And, It'll be interesting to see what the next six months bring, but uh, I mean, I just did a terrible job of, of forecasting what um, COVID would really be because I just there was I was just unprepared as a lot of the world was of what it was really going to do to us. I, in some regards, I think it might have been better because if in the beginning they everyone would have said, "Hey, we're going to be we're going to be shut down for essentially a year," that would have been tougher to take. I kept telling myself, "No, it's just two more weeks." It's a month. <laughs> no, 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 it's just two more weeks after this, and then it's going to okay. be good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, absolutely. So that was uh, that was a, a really interesting, interesting time, and you know, thinking really just working with the team to okay, let's practice self care, and you got to step away you know, find, find a hobby, do whatever you got to do, right? Just to, to step back for a moment and recognize that we're still, you know, we have families and lives and all those things that, you know, we were buying so much stuff and working just incredibly hard. Uh, so it was, again, it was just pretty sport, pretty sporty. Yeah. That says a lot about you as a leader that you were thinking about that stuff. Uh, I've been, I've had the uh, pleasure of working with first responders 
uh, during my time in construction safety. And that was one of the things that I didn't realize until I started working with them is they put a big emphasis on taking care of themselves, because if they don't take care of themselves, you can't help anyone else. And I have this picture in my mind always that, you know, firefighters, they just run in. That's not the case. They're always you got to take care of your crew before you take care of anyone else. And so it was nice. To, nice to hear you're doing that as well. No, yeah, that, I mean, that's such a great analogy. And, you know, it's it's all about balance, right? Finding that balance and working really hard, but making sure that you're kind of checking in with yourself and the team. And, you know, one of the challenges that COVID has created is how do you have team cohesion when you're spread out? You know, in this case, we're, you know, we're spread out across Nebraska, but, uh, you know, how do you, how do you do that in a meaningful way? And I, I'm not sure that we've all figured out yet what that really looks like, but, um, you know, it, that, that piece was, Kind of interesting to to kind of we would end up having Zoom calls and just and just talk and just talk about our weekend and what that looks like and just you know take a moment and take a breather and remember that we're all human beings trying to do our very best. <laughs> yeah, it was tough to remember that at times last year. Um, so now you're you got COVID stuff underway, and I may be a little off on the timing. I'm just going off to your LinkedIn profile, but you're an adjunct professor. Uh, how'd you become an adjunct professor? And then I don't want to interrupt you. Why don't you walk us right into how you became your uh, the chief procurement officer, at University of Nebraska? Yeah. So the adjunct professor thing, I um, actually was a mentor of mine um, in, in the military. She was a colonel, really great thing, uh, Colonel Tammy Thompson, now retired. She worked at Nebraska Wesleyan, which is the university here, um, you know, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so she said, hey, you know, you'd really be great at this, being an adjunct professor in, in public relations. So I've certainly never taught before. I, that university probably wouldn't even let me in as a student. I'm not sure I'd be a good fit for that. She said, well, why don't you go talk to them? So, you know, I ended up going to talk to them and, you know, I, I prepared what I would consider a quasi-syllabus, like, hey, this is what I would want to focus on. And, so as I was talking to department head, I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, I want to create my curriculum and all that. So, you know, she let me run with it. And I did that for a number of years. And, you know, to get to to watch 19, 21-year-olds, um, how they view the world and talk about social media and the importance of that. And, you know, that was just a, it was a lot of fun for me in particular to, to get to see them kind of grow and their growth journey and, and watch them you know, I've watched a number of them not only graduate college, but now move into their first stages of their professional lives. And that's been a lot of fun too. Um, you know, the one thing I reminded them is, look, once it's on the social media, it's there forever. So darn <laughs> careful what you're posting. And I assure you that uh, employers are looking at what you're posting if, if they're thinking about hiring you. So uh, hopefully it's stuck with some of them, maybe not all of them, but hopefully more than, than not. Um, <laughs> You know, and then so pivoting, um, you know, from a chief procurement perspective, obviously it stayed for for a while, and then uh, the opportunity came open to come work for the University of Nebraska and went through the process. We were fortunate enough to get selected, and been doing this for you know about a little more than a month, and um, really love the opportunity to be part of the University of Nebraska system. I mean, you know, when you go up in Nebraska, every young boy wants to play for them well i'm about you know all of five eight maybe maybe not even that tall so i obviously couldn't play for them but I, you know i get to serve in this capacity and you know i tell the story that one time i was in sevilla spain of all places and i had a you know a big red corner for sure you know i'm wearing that somebody yelled out across the street go big red and 
you know, no matter, it seemed like no matter where I was at in the world, everyone knows what a Cornhusker is. So, uh, you know, now I get to work for, you know, really my dream job, and here I am. And and you've you mentioned mentioned your mom a couple of times. She must be proud to see you working for your military career and just everything you've been through. I'm sure she's very proud. Yeah, yeah, she is, and you know, she's uh, you know, she's your typical mom, right? And you know, and I and I'm the baby, so you know, I like to remind my sister that I could do no wrong. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty blessed to have a mom that really was loving and supportive. And I remember, uh, you know, ba- back in basic training. You know, my mom writing me letters saying how proud she was of me. And, you know, I still have those letters. And, you know, it would be a neat keepsake uh, for the rest of my days that, to remember those times. And, you know, every every step along my career journey, my mom's always been there and really, you know, pushing pushing me to do better and do good things. So I'm uh, really blessed to have her in my life. That's awesome. It's, it's funny. It doesn't really matter how old you get. You look you look at them like, was that was that okay? <laughs> are you are you disappointed in me? Or are you happy with me? Importance, <laughs> right? You would think that I kind of have it all figured out, and I still call my mom and ask her for advice. You know, but moms are the best. Yep, I I concur. I concur. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything anything cool you have going on there, University? I know it's it's brand new, uh, so if you don't have anything right now, that's not a big deal. I just we didn't talk about it much, and it, it's a it's a it's a it's a role you should be so proud of and such a neat opportunity. So I don't want to shortchange you in that capacity. Yeah. So you know the University of Nebraska decided that a center-led peer-to-pay initiative is the answer. So University of Nebraska has four different campuses, uh, and we're going to centralize all of them. All you know for peer-to-pay. So you know obviously procurement, accounts payable, travel, all this is going to go under one umbrella. And I'm really blessed that I get the opportunity to lead that team. Uh, but, you know, yeah, this is going to be really exciting. It's going to be really a big cost savings initiative, and we're going to be able to accomplish some really good things as a team. Um, so I'm excited. You know, I, I've met the team for obviously the last month and just dedicated professionals that are ready to get after this and really bring it all together under under one umbrella so we can, we can do good things with the university system. That's awesome. Uh, it's uh I feel like that term needs to be rebranded cost savings efforts because they, they mean things so much different depending on the context, right? When 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 I say things like cost savings, it means myself and my partners will make a little bit more money or the other people in the company will make a little more money. When you're able to save costs, you're able to do more for more people. And I think sometimes that doesn't get talked about enough when you talk about the things you're able to do from on the public side. Well, yeah, you know, so I mean, when I think about cost savings, I'm thinking about return on investment, you know, we rather than lowest price or we getting the best value for the university. Um, we're going to find efficiencies and save costs in that way because we're we're not going to be, you know, doing 20 steps when five steps, right? Um, so it's things like that and being able to give, you know, increased rebates, all those things, be able to give that back to the university system. So, you know, wherever that money needs to go to, they can continue to, to do their mission, which is to serve the students and, and to create amazing adults that are going to go out to the world and do good things for not only their state but for the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get get keep passing that mentorship lesson on. Get yeah. To... Hey, I, I tell you what, Matthew, I've just had such great mentors in my life. And you know, everything I'm saying, some mentor in my life taught me at one point or another. So yeah, that mentorship thing needs to keep definitely moving. And you know, for the listeners out there, get the opportunity to be a mentor. Uh, I hope you take that opportunity because it's it's just such a neat experience to watch, you know, particularly younger folks grow and, and learn and, and continue to do good things. 
Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if, Doug, if Doug's going to like that I volunteer his time like this, but if you're a, a young procurement professional or in the military and wondering what to do with your career, now you have a great person to look at and uh, model your behavior after. So I no, encourage I, young I, people to look out to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, from a procurement perspective, I'll tell you what, we, we definitely need, you know, younger folks in procurement. So if that's an interest of yours, you know, you reach out because uh, we're always looking for, for a number of diverse folks. Uh, from all walks of life to join the procurement team and uh you know so that's if you think that's interesting to you yeah please reach out let's do it awesome awesome i like the little recruitment it's it's funny how in this labor market everything becomes a recruitment too it's oh absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. i mean, i'm not a, i'm not above begging for for talent right we're, we're all competing for the same talent so you know i'm gonna get my shameless plug in when i can because i you know i want i want the best very best people working at the university so i want to keep that yeah. going so far, it seems like we have that. Let's keep the A team going. I I totally get that. One of the I'm passionate about AEC marketing, which is kind of a weird thing to be passionate about, but I'm passionate about because I feel like people haven't paid attention enough to it, and there's so much marketing talent out there. It's just concentrated in these sectors that I'm not really a part of, and so right. I've been fortunate with my team to con to convince a couple people to come over and understand engineering and uh, power and all these different areas, and they've done great. And it's so I'm I'm also passionate about doing that and getting more people to understand that there's more than just this world you know. If you want to do something, there's probably a career or something out there for you. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I mean, you hear I'm sure I have people telling me this like. Do what you're passionate about but boy i tell you what it's true because i don't work a day in my life i love my job i feel so blessed that this job every day is fun and you know so that to get to you know have an opportunity and a career to do something that you absolutely love I mean, how lucky you know and every day i wake up that way thinking i cannot believe it that's awesome. So I can't end on a better note than that with your story. Uh, we're going to transition here to a little segment where we try and under, we're going to rapid fire you some questions, try and throw you off a little bit. And the, the objective of this is to help PL leaders, marketers, and sales professionals understand the way that behaviors have changed and the way that they can sell to people better. This isn't meant to be a cheat session where it's, oh, if I can learn this trick, it's Hey, we believe that you really need to form relationships. If you want to form relationships, here's some things you need to think about the way that buying has changed now. So um, my first question is a pretty simple one. Uh, do you perform your, if you're, if you are in that buying mode, I know you're probably a little bit removed from that now. Um, but if you're in that buying mode, do you perform your own research online prior to making the decision? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we look at reputation, um, their their website their online presence all of those things are factors right and then you know it's also good opportunity to start looking at the you know who the competitors are and all those things and you know one of the challenges is you know when you think about bidding and, and all those things you know you got to keep it within that within that square right so you know whatever bid they submit you need to leverage that but um yeah i mean from an overarching perspective when we're doing initial research we absolutely do our own research and start looking about um, who's right, what we're looking for. Maybe it also is a good opportunity to think about, hey, we didn't think about this, and this company's offering X, Y, or Z. We should add that to our request for proposal. Or yeah. Well, one of the things I push real hard in this space is creating value content. So there's a certain element of this, especially pre-COVID, where awareness can win sometimes. So if you create a bunch of poor content, as long as there's enough of it, you're going to create some mind share and something might happen, right? Now, as this market matures more, 
I feel like anyways that it's the good content that's going to that's going to actually win and help people drive that brand recognition. So if you're going into an area that you're not familiar with, um, let's say that let's say maybe you're buying a, a new component or something for the university that you're not familiar with. Do you how do you start that process? I bring up experts in. Mm-hmm. Let's experts be experts. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm not familiar with that product, I'm going to find somebody who is. So they can help tell me, hey, Doug, you need to think about X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. The last thing I want to do is put us in a bad situation because I, I bought something because I let my ego get in the way. Mm-hmm. So let the experts be experts, bring them in to the fold from the earliest stages and say, okay, Doug, this is what you should be thinking about. Um, we did it you know, in state government with PPE, all those things. I mean, you just absolutely have to do that. You, know, you, you really got to put your ego aside, not try and pretend that you know everything about everything. And uh, let experts be experts. Do you ever utilize uh, potential suppliers' content to inform yourself about the? And I'm thinking, whatever you're not familiar with, do you during your research and selecting those experts? Do you do you consume content to educate yourself better on what the problems are? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you know, sorry, I don't, I don't use that stuff to make the, the bid decision, but I do, yep. you know, before well before any bid goes out. Um, yeah, I, I like to be educated on on what we're preparing. I, you know, I, that's just kind of how my brain works in a way. I'm fascinated by things, but um, yeah, I absolutely look at content. You know, and the guidance I'm giving vendors out there is less is more, folks. You know, um, I, I'll speak for myself here. Obviously, I'm busy and get kind of cast saturated and get inundated with unsolicited things. Uh, I, I don't have time to read 40, uh, you know, presentation slides. Right? I have time to read three. So you got to get to the point. Yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that we push real hard is is meeting them, meeting buyers on their wherever they are, right? So, we want to create these customer journeys where if you're trying to learn about the subject, you can learn about the subject all the way down through learning about the specific company. You can learn about it at your own rate or at any time you can connect. I think the issue I see a lot right now is people try and go either or. They either think, hey, I'm going to try and put all this stuff online and now all of a sudden I'm going to sell all online or I don't need that. I'm going to sell all in person. When people, at least my experience is people jump back and forth between those two worlds all the time and you don't know where, when and where they are. No, they, they absolutely jump between those two worlds because that's just the world we live in, right? We're all not online yet. Um, you know, some people prefer in person only. So, you know, as a vendor, you're going to find that balance. Um, but again, less is definitely more. Um, you know, some advice I would probably give a, a vendor is don't ask for an hour of my time. Ask for, I could probably give you 30 minutes. An hour of a pretty huge investment from a time perspective. But, you know, 30 minutes is much more manageable. And, you know, I'm talking from a chief procurement officer with the state as well as the university. So, you know, if you're thinking about from a vendor perspective, hey, I want to get on this person's calendar. 30 minutes, folks. If you can't say in 30 minutes, you can't say. <laughs> I call that I call that a, a, the lazy way too. It's you're just trying to you're you're sending a bunch of cold outreach, hoping a couple of them end up saying, "Hey, we'll listen to your pitch," and then you hope you have good enough closures that maybe you close, maybe you don't. But uh, that's what I that and that's what I've experienced a little bit where I was saying things have changed in the space because I've seen since COVID. You know, my my personally, I'm targeted a lot more with email outreach, a lot more direct messages, and it's frankly a lot of it's garbage. And I think it's hurting the industry right now to a certain degree. I I'm hoping that stuff will level set. But have you seen a big uptick in 
that kind of email traffic and what do you and direct message and what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, my time in state government to go back to April, May, June of 2020. I, I literally was getting 600 emails a day, hmm. you know, and, and the majority of them were cold calls, like emails where, hey, we're going to sell you this. Don't worry, it's going to be fine. I mean, that's pretty tough to sift through. Okay, who's the good actors? Who's the bad actor? Trying to understand that. Um, you know, I get a lot of direct messages, whether it's on my LinkedIn profile or whatever it is, which is fine. But, you know, the challenge is, okay, what what is valuable here and what isn't valuable? And, you know, I quite haven't figured that out myself. I try and be responsive, but, you know, if I spend every moment, I'd have to spend every moment of my day responding to vendors if, you know, um, if that's what I was going to do. So, you know, it's it's an interesting challenge that we're probably all faced with and somebody on, on my side, but, uh, you know, it, at the same time, I also don't want to miss a really great opportunity because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything uh, about what the whether state university needs. So, you know, I want to hear new ideas and cool ideas, but, you know, working through that white noise is always an interesting challenge. So uh, I'm, if I can summarize a little bit what you're saying, you tell me if I'm off here. If you want to approach Doug, approach him the right way. Approach him with how you're adding value and you'll get 30 minutes. If you approach him with a bunch of cold emails, you may or may not get a response, but you're definitely not going to get what you intend. No, that's exactly right, Matthew. And, you know, so my, when I was in state government, you know, I was the, the Midwestern chair, or the chair of the Midwestern region um, for chief government officers. So there's one in every state. I got to, very fortunate to Get elected by my counterparts to do that you know that was one of the conversations we had on a regular basis okay how you know how do we be accessible to vendors without you know without working 20 hours a day right yeah. that's what we require so and that seems to be the general consensus you know you got to get to your point don't ask for an hour ask for 30 minutes um you know and then those things will increase your chances to, to get on our calendars yeah that's awesome uh I'm just I'm just thinking about the flood of messages you must get, and especially when everyone's trying to buy PPE. Uh, I I agree. I don't think I don't think the industry or anyone's figured out how to how do you intake new ideas without opening the floodgates and being completely distracted. I we were exploring some uh, some tech solutions a while back, probably a couple months ago, and it's I my I get twelve to twelve to fourteen emails a day now from retargeting things that are around that, and it's like man, it's not the right approach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's tough, you know, because they're just trying to do their jobs and sell things. And, you know, I, I totally understand that because that's their, their role. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, sifting through that, okay, which out of the, you know, 50 emails I got this day from vendors, which which is the one gold nugget that I want <laughs> to grab. And so it's, it's an interesting challenge. Absolutely. So on that same line, what's the best thing a potential supplier has done to get your attention? Uh, send me a short slide deck. Okay. Sit three slides, you know, and it stands alone. And, and so there's a challenge that, like, finding the balance of you don't want 100 words on a slide, but you also need more intrigue because they got to stand alone, right? So, you know, you send me a short slide deck and offer me the opportunity to, to contact you. Uh, folks, you got to put your contact information in your email. Right? <laughs> At the same time, like, you know, that, that didn't occur, you know, phone numbers along that line, I need those things. Um, so I can contact you back, right? <laughs> Those um, are the rough ones where, hey, you won and then you lost. Right. <laughs> I was going to call you and you right, didn't allow me to. Literally has happened. And, 
you know, in my my world, particularly last year, it was moving pretty fast. I didn't have time to like email them, but hey, give me your phone number, let's exchange contact information. You got to get to it, folks. You know, we're making some pretty important decisions. So um, there, there you go. Yeah, that's my secret to success is put your phone number in there as well, please. <laughs> I think that I think that also lends itself to building those building those customer journeys where you can get through the information and then allow yourself to be able to contact someone instead of it being on or off hours. I think a lot about, especially I have a young young child and I think about how much my working habits have changed with a young child. I work way different hours now where it's not uncommon where I'm looking at emails at 10 o'clock at night or trying to catch up from 10 to 11 something. And that is typically quieter time for me too. And I want to be able to do that research on, on suppliers that I need. No, that's a, that's a great point, Matthew. I mean, you know, talk about this new normal. I mean, I, I gave a business hours last March. I mean, and this is not a, a nine to five profession in German these days. You, you know, you're going to be working at 10 to night sometimes. And I mean, that's just the way this is going to go. But I'm like you, where, you know, night times are particularly for me early. I've come back here pretty early riser. So getting the opportunity to kind of go through those and see what they're trying to offer, you know, there's there's value to that. But you got to present it in a, in a meaningful way. So I'm not looking for 50 slides. Yep. So I think I know the, uh, we definitely know this, this makes the list of 50 slide deck is what's the worst thing a supplier's done to get your attention? Uh, demand my time. <laughs> it's just, it just sets a negative tone. Um, you know, trying to say, hey, you need to get on my calendar. Um, you need to do it right now. Or, you know, or, or calling me five times a day. That's just not going to work, folks. You know, it, there, there's a better answer than that. So, you know, because if, if we're going to do business, we're partners. So we're going to be strategic partners with friends, you know, because I want to do business with, you know, people that are going to do the thing, right? And, and that means, you know, we're going to be friends. So five phone calls a day demanding my time, five different voicemails or text messages, whatever it is. That's, you know, that, that's not the answer. Don't do that, please. <laughs> you taught, uh, that's good to know. And you touched on there, you, you talked about being partners. So what do you look for in a strategic supplier? Just high level. I know not, you can't get into specifics with your. Yeah, right. And so, one, are, are they a good culture fit, or do they meet the needs of of the culture that we're in? Right. I mean, that, that's an important piece because now they're a direct representative of, of you know, in this case, the university. Are they ethical? Right. Are they are they, are they employing ethical standards? Do they believe that things like diversity and inclusion are important? That's why I want to do business. Right. Sustainability. Those things really matter. Um, they matter to me, so they better matter to you, you know, and, and if those things are counter to what we're doing here, I, I'm not going to be a business partner with you. Those things absolutely make a difference. And then, you know, being accountable, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether I was going to say government spending taxpayer dollars or now I'm spending, you know, university funds, both state as well as private funds, you know, transparency and accountability matter to me and they better matter to you. And, you know, if there's a problem, I expect to fix it. So, you know, those are just some of the measures that we look at when we think about, okay, who is the best strategic partner? Yeah, that's, those are the uh, sustainability, diversity, diversity and inclusion. Those are all important things. And, you know, just from a marketing standpoint, I struggle with it sometimes because um, I work with people that it would be in their best interest to talk about that stuff, but it, it's not something that we can genuinely talk about. So I steer the conversation in a different direction. It's like you, I, and I'm interested, I go on that diatribe because I'm interested if you kind of have a sniff test where it's like they say they do all this stuff or they talk about this, but then when we meet them, when we work with them, it becomes pretty apparent that's not who they are. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you got to figure that stuff out pretty early on. Is, is Are they just saying those things? Do they want to hear or do they really believe that stuff? So, you know, part of the whole journey to do business is, okay, let's prove it. You know, how are you employing those things? Yeah. So, so examples of doing those things. And if, if they can't, then that's probably a pretty telling sign. Um, and if they can, then let's continue this conversation. Awesome. Um, so we're running out of time here quick. We've gone a little bit over. We originally anticipated, but your story was incredible, and I'm glad everyone got to hear that. Uh, so do you do um at the at the state level and at the university level, do do y'all have plans to stay remote? And how will that affect uh, the way you interact with vendors if you do? Well, so I, again, I think it's probably this new normal, right? And so um, I think the plan is really coming back to work. I think that's probably the right answer. Um, there'll be instances where that isn't the right answer, but coming back to work, certainly at the university is what we're doing here in the university. Um, but, you know, yeah, hybrid model might work in some cases. You know, from a vendor perspective, that creates some challenges, you know, so because meeting in person is, I would, I find much more value in meeting in person as opposed to Zoom. Um, it just creates another level of, you know, awareness and connection uh, that you probably miss out on just via Zoom. But, you know, vendors are going to figure that out. You know, they're going to have to be adaptable and be willing to do whatever they got to do to to meet in whatever capacity that that whether state or university is doing it. And and the the private sectors, they're you know, it's it's no different. And some companies have they don't have the barriers, right? There's not as much of the in person they can really go remote. And that's where I'm seeing there's not a lot of discussion to talk about how you're going to reach those people. If if I put myself in a procurement position and I have a family and I have all these things too, I'm probably going to meet with new vendors less than I did previously just because I'm not anchored to my desk for 40 hours a week. No, that's exactly right, Matthew. So that means that vendor is going to get less opportunities to to sell whatever product or service, right? So they better get it right the first time, which means you're going to have to think about how do you present a meaningful document to me that is going to resonate. Awesome. So uh, uh, I'm not going to speak after this because we're, we're at time. If you would leave everyone with, what's your best routine and habit? Well, when I make a daily list, you know, it, you're only as good as that list. And I realize lists change, you know, maybe you didn't get anything actually crossed off that list. But making a, a daily list is absolutely critical. Um, exercising, as it turns out, self-care, that stuff's pretty important. Um, and then reading. you got to read. You know, all all leaders read. and so. Find something you're passionate about, read about it, and uh, you know practice that self-care language. I love that. I love that. A little bit of a partial Harry Truman quote there. Uh, all right, Doug, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I appreciate you sticking with us longer than we anticipated, but I think there's a lot of valuable stuff for young professionals and also uh, some P&L sales and marketing professionals trying to understand supply chain better. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time, Matthew. It would be great to get to know you and look forward to the conversation later. Awesome. All right, thanks, bud.